You're never too busy to market your firm with Chuck Krugel, episode 32. Are you ready to make your law firm a profit-generating machine that will free up your time and skyrocket your impact? With more than two decades of business growth experience and having proven that you can be successful while prioritizing your family and your impact, introducing the Profit with Law podcast. I am your host, the creator of the firm differentiator 10x effect, Moshe Amsel. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Profit with Law. I'm your host, Moshe Amsel, and today is a bonus episode with a interviewee. And this interview I'm really excited about because I connected with uh, Chuck. This is Chuck Krugel. I connected with Chuck on LinkedIn, and uh, I, I basically am I'm looking for attorneys that have something to share that are willing to share to interview on the show. And Chuck and I had a great first conversation, and I just thought that there was so much uh, to learn from his journey. He's actually a solo. And I know that a lot of people listening to this show might be beyond solo, but there, there's just so much to learn from his actions and what he's done over the last uh, 10, 15, 20 years with building his practice. It's, it's just mind-blowing. And as you listen to this, to this interview, you will see that he's done a lot, of, a lot of work that seems like a ton of effort, but he's done little pieces over time just consistently and just continuing to work consistently towards an end goal and and has produced great great results from it um, and I think that there's a lot a lot to learn from him uh, in just taking action and and getting out there and just doing the work um, you know so many people know that they should be doing blog posts but they just don't want to write or they should be doing some live video but they don't want to get in front of a camera or they just you know aren't taking the time to figure out what is it that I want to talk about or maybe you should be creating a Facebook group or a LinkedIn group or or doing speaking engagements at various groups and, and things like that um, you know around town uh, whatever you know the thing is that you you probably know deep down this is what I should really be doing to try to um, increase business in my firm you're probably not doing it consistently you're probably not doing it regularly and that consistency is what's key to get traction with any um, of these types of, of marketing efforts. So let me just tell you real quick um, who our guest is and, and um, you know what his background is. So Charles Krugel is the owner of Charles Krugel Labor and Employment Law on behalf of business. And he's a solo practicing management side labor and employment lawyer and human resources counselor based in Chicago. He has clients that are all over the country and the world in all industries. Clients are small to medium-sized businesses and nonprofits, and he is frequently interviewed and quoted by the media and a noted uh, public speaker. And as you will see from Chuck's description in the interview, he's just a regular guy, a regular guy who thinks that he's average. And honestly, the, the stuff that he's done is average. It's, there's nothing spectacular about it, but he's done it consistently over time. And that has created some very, very, very nice side effects for him and his business and his business development and the growth of his practice. And 
I'm not going to give it all away here. You're just in for a treat. So without further ado, uh, I'm going to queue up that interview and let you see for yourself. Here we go. Chuck, welcome to the show. Thank you, Moshe. Thanks for having me. So it's best if we start out the show with um, letting people know who you are. Obviously, you're an attorney. Uh, you have your own practice. But why don't you share a little bit about uh, what you do, who you serve, and, uh, and how you got into that, uh, that line of work? Sure. So like you said, I'm a labor and employment lawyer. I represent businesses or management, you could also say. Uh, I got into the field because I'm interested in workplace behavior, workplace psychology. I actually have a Master of Arts degree in industrial organizational psychology. I was going to go into consulting, organizational behavior, HR management. Uh, but midway through my master's program, I decided that field was too soft and too touchy-feely for me. So I decided to go into like the harder edge area, which is labor and employment law. So after I finished my master's degree, I got uh, my law degree, and I've been practicing now in labor and employment law for 24 years, uh, 18 years on my own. So I started around 2000, 2001. Uh, about a third of my business is counseling on day-to-day micro-related issues in human resources management, uh, labor employee relations type stuff, harassment, discrimination, uh, wage and hour issues, those types of uh, issues that arise. Another third is more transactional law. That's contracts and agreements, hiring, firing, separation, so non-solicitation, confidentiality, non-compete agreements. And the final third is litigation, state and federal court. And before regulatory agencies like the National Labor Relations Board and the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Wow. <laughs> quite, quite, the, quite the journey you've been on and quite a bit of, of uh, experience that you have. Um, what I found the most compelling, which you didn't even touch on in that response, is that you're located, if I remember correctly, in the Chicago area, is that correct? Chicago, downtown Chicago. Yeah, so you're in the Chicago area, but interestingly, you uh, serve clients um, uh, nationally and internationally, is that correct? That's right. Um, in fact, my newest client, which I just closed on last week, they're headquartered out of the Netherlands with operations in, um, uh, in about, ten, I think, 10 different states in the U.S. now. And I have clients, uh, they're based in China, uh, Great Britain, uh, Germany, and I already mentioned the Netherlands, China, Great Britain, Germany. Yeah, and so uh, they're internationally based, but some of them are based, have operations in all 50 states. So it's been kind of uh, unusual to develop that, this sort of international and national sort of practice, especially as a solo and, you know, kind of being a, bit, a little fish in a big pond like Chicago. Right. And I want to dig into this in two different directions. And the first is from somebody who's listening to this, who might want to uh, do something similar. And then the second is just kind of like how, you know, where, where are these people coming from? So um, two roads I want to take, and I want to start with the first, first one first. So for a law firm owner who's listening to this show and is kind of, you know, they're, they're in New York state or they're in Illinois or they're in Tennessee and they, they believe that they can only serve clients in that state. I guess in certain practice areas, that may be the case that they can't, they can't branch out because they, their primary function is in state law. But how, um, how would you recommend that somebody start branching out beyond their immediate geographic region if that's what they want to do with their firm? Sure. I think technology makes it all possible, frankly. So 20, 25 years ago, I don't think I could do uh, then what I'm doing today. So the fact is, you know, you're in New York and we're, you're doing this inter- video interview with me while I'm in downtown Chicago with Lake Michigan behind me. Uh, you know, the technology makes it all possible. It's very cheap and easy to do. 
the same thing with my clients who are based in other countries. So when I talk with them, it's usually over uh, VOIP, voice over internet protocol, using whichever system or platform they have, or Skype or whatever. Um, so yeah, it makes it all, electronic communication makes it very simple and easy. Uh, honestly, even half of my clients, even those who are based locally, I never even meet face to face anymore. So. Yeah, it's a very interesting uh, phenomenon because that's how I run my business as well. Uh, I do happen to have some clients locally that I, you know, I meet face to face out of convenience because they're here. But primarily the, the work that I do is, is over, we're using Zoom as the platform. And that's primarily where I send everybody for our video conferencing uh, application. But it's true. It's, it, it really makes the world a smaller place when we're able to connect with, with anybody pretty much anywhere in this way. Uh, but besides the technological aspect of it, uh, there's other issues that I imagine arise. Time zone difference. Says, uh, I know I have an assistant in the Philippines, and you know she works nine p.m. to five a.m. my time, yeah. which is her daytime. So I know, you know, I know I need to deal with that with you know with that assistant on my on my team. How does that translate into the way that you work with clients? Are you needing to operate at three in the morning sometimes? Uh, let's talk about that for a moment. It happens occasionally, not that often. Frankly, a lot of them are pretty flexible with me, and I'm pretty flexible with them. So. It's never really been that much of a problem. Uh, honestly, the biggest problem is sometimes getting approved by your insurance company for litigation-related matters. So I, you know, that happened with the India-based client, where their India-based insurance company had to, uh, I, I had to get approval from them. So usually that's maybe the biggest hassle. And, for, and when you look at it also from a business development standpoint, uh, I think the website, having a good website helps a lot too. And having a, an internet presence, some sort of presence on the web helps a lot. Right. Speaking of internet presence and business development, let's take that detour right now. Besides for your website, what else are you doing online to have a presence to promote your business and, you know, and further, um, you know, increase that, that business development of your practice? Sure. LinkedIn has been a huge help for me. Um, and that's my main, so the main social media platform that I use. So about 10, 11 years ago now, a marketing expert recommended I start my own LinkedIn group, which I did, something I never encounter, never really thought of. I never really looked at LinkedIn, LinkedIn groups. And so I decided just you know, off the cuff to start my own LinkedIn group. It's called Charles Krugel's Labor and Employment Law and Human Resources Practices Group. And it's counter, you know, to use such a long name, I think is kind of counterintuitive and use a name that's you know, after myself, as opposed to like the human, LinkedIn Human Resources Group. But, uh, and then also it doesn't have like a banner. I don't have like any sort of uh, avatar or banner for the group. And since I started 11 years ago now, it's got 3,739 members as of today. So people from all over the world have joined. I get people from all different corporations, other law firms, uh, people who compete with me for business. And I let people um, pretty much express themselves as they see fit on the group. As long as you're not spamming the group, I really don't care what gets posted as long, you know, uh, as long as it's not spam and somewhat relevant to HR. Right. Wow. That's, uh, that's wild. And um, I, I guess I didn't realize that group was around for that long, but 3,700 members, that's pretty, pretty impressive uh, in any industry, but uh, specifically here in, in, in the legal industry where you have, uh, I imagine you have other attorneys in there as well as potential clients. These um, plaintiff side attorneys, other management side attorneys, people from, um, you know, blue blood type law firms, uh, people from all different corporations. 
So yeah, it's pretty mind boggling to me. Um, every time I look to see, you know, how many members I have or who's requesting to join it, uh, you know, that type of stuff. So yeah, it's pretty interesting to see. It's, it's a really different sort of phenomenon. Yeah. And uh, so that, that leads us to this idea of having a platform. And I first learned about this from Michael Hyatt. He wrote a book called Platform that was published. It was really early for its time. I don't, I don't know the published date, but it's got to be more than 10 years ago. And at that point, the, the platform he was primarily talking about on there was Twitter, but it, the platform itself doesn't really matter. What the book's premise was about is just having a place where you can have your message uh, front and center in front of your target audience, whoever that may be. And I think that that is more prevalent today than, than ever, and it's going to continue uh, in that direction. So you, at this point, look like a genius compared to, uh, you know, 10 years ago when you were when you setting out to do it, where now people are scrambling to create that, that experience. But what would you, for somebody who does not have a platform yet and is just getting started, do you have any recommendations for them as far as what they should do to engage their target market as far as who they want to talk to? Yeah, it's not rocket science either. So I don't think you have to be a genius and I don't really think of myself as a genius either. But anyway, um, I mean, you have to be, if, you're, if your target audience is white collar professional employees or white collar professionals, uh, then look to a, a platform such as LinkedIn, which uh, white, that's where white collar professionals congregate to. If your target audience is more consumers, maybe Facebook or Twitter then, uh, I'm not really on Facebook. I, I've done kind of like a trial thing with Facebook that I haven't found very successful, honestly. Uh, I'm not on Twitter either, personally, although I've seen tweets about me and, and presentations or interviews I've done. So, I mean, you kind of have to stake out the platform that's where your target audience and clientele will be. And I found that really to be LinkedIn more than anything else. Uh, besides that, using uh, my website as a blog. And then kind of, I think you have to also integrate all these things. Um, so one can't be exclusive from the other. So if you are on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and the website, then they all have to, you have to syndicate, syndicate your content to all of those, all those different platforms, which is something I do. Very interesting. So you have a blog as well. How frequently are you finding that you need to post a, a blog post on there to stay relevant? I try to do it every other week. So okay. I've been doing, I've had the blog now, uh, in this current incarnation for like, I don't know, maybe 12 years. And I've been blogging for, since I started about 18 years ago. So I found the blog to be really useful because it puts all the most recent content front and center. And it shows people that I'm, as opposed to a static web page, it shows like the most recent content up front. So. Right. Now we, we had um, uh, an interview with a blog post writer, somebody who does freelance writing for attorneys. Are you doing the writing yourself or do you have somebody doing the writing for you? I do it all myself. I have had some guest posts, so, but it hasn't, I don't think I've had a guest post in the last five years, honestly. So mm -hmm. I have had guest posts from colleagues of mine or professional writers who've offered to write, but I don't find that it does anything for my SEO. And I don't think it really, uh, the, yeah, I don't think it really promotes the SEO or anything like that. I find that basically it's the, um, if the content's relevant and I'm starting to get more traction through my LinkedIn group and other LinkedIn groups that I'm on. So it's not just my LinkedIn group, but there's also other LinkedIn groups I'm a member of. And, you know, if, if I'm getting traction through that and other websites that, that uh, actually uh, will promote my content or 
interview me like a lot of other media outlets. I'll get media interviews through them and then they'll post it and uh, I'll syndicate it uh, through other channels, you know, off of their platform. Yeah. And I, I want to go into the, the media review, the, the, the media exposure that you get at, you know, um, in, in a couple of minutes, I just want to latch onto something you, you said about SEO real quick. Are you focusing on SEO or is that just kind of a byproduct of the fact that you have this blog? It's been around for a while and you, and you're putting relevant content out there that people are just finding you through search. It's more of a byproduct. Ego-wise, you know, I try, to keep, I try to tamp that down. And sometimes I get a little bit frustrated with the SEO aspect from an ego, you know, from an egotistical standpoint. But, when, you know, I just really try to keep it more of a byproduct because, frankly, I don't know if in my field, you know, having thousands of hits necessarily translates into more business. Um, and I'll give you an example. One of the, uh, one of the biggest draws are SEO uh, promoters or, you know, uh, attractors for my website is this really obscure labor and employment law concept called pyramiding of overtime, which is something five, six years ago I never heard about. And then I got somebody contacting me about this and I decided to start writing about it. So all of a sudden now I'm like number one and two in pyramiding of overtime. And then a few years ago, uh, two and a half years ago, a national payroll company uh, that's they specialize in hospitality and restaurants, the food industry, they contacted me because they found me via pyramiding of overtime and now they're a client of mine, a regular client. So, and they're nationwide. And they've actually introduced me to some of their other clients. So, you know, I found that it's not so much when you, when you cast the big net with like, you know, everything involving HR management or something like that, but really when I cast something more focused, like pyram- and that's obscure, pyramiding of overtime. Right. And, and, attention. And just like your LinkedIn group, you obviously look like a genius now in hindsight for having gone and latching onto that and writing about it. But when you were doing it, did you look at it and say, oh, this is something that nobody's talking about, so let me talk about it? Or was it just kind of like, oh, this is really interesting. I, you know, I should write about this. And then it kind of morphed into something of, yeah. of its own. Yeah, it's, it's the latter. A lot of times I've written about stuff and it, you know, for whatever reasons, it starts getting picked up on. Um, you know, are you familiar with Avo? Yes. So I was actually a number of years ago, I was a critic of Avo because I thought that their platform is, they pull a bait and switch with attorneys where um, you sign up, but then you can't unsign up from it or right. whether you call claim or unclaim your profile. So once you claim it, you can't unclaim it. So I wrote a few co- articles about that. And then one of their executives actually commented on my website about it. And then I was picked up and quoted in uh, Wiki, uh, Wikipedia, I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, about Avo until I, I think they got it removed though. But anyway, um, so it was just, you know, something obs- as obscure and, and as different as that uh, got me a lot of web attention. And it wasn't something positive about Avo, it was something negative about them too. So, Right. Um, it's very interesting because I think that the key, the key takeaway here for um, uh, people who are listening, you know, law firm owners who are trying to figure out, you know, what is, what should I be putting my efforts into? Uh, pay attention to the fact that Chuck has, uh, what he's been doing all along is just taking action. Like you've just been, you've been sticking to a plan for so many years that blog post after blog post, I mean, you're doing it every other week. So you got 26 posts a week, however long this is going. 
that starts to build up and add up. And at some point, you hit a topic that is a buzz, a buzzword or something that's not talked about by anybody else. And that automatically is going to put you in the top of the rankings in Google where people start finding you or you get picked up somewhere uh, and get exposure that way. Uh, but I think the key takeaway here is, is that it, you didn't have any, any really super cool strategy. You just kept doing the work. No, and I have no SEO professionals, nobody assisting me with this. I get hit up all the time, maybe uh, every other day by an SEO professional or some sort of marketer uh, or PR professional who you know, says they could do this or that for me. And I found more often than not, the DIY method, do-it-yourself method has, has served me uh, better. Um, you know, you talk about the SEO. Years ago, I used to look at my SEO a lot more than I do now. And about maybe eight, nine years ago, 10 years ago, I would, you know, check out the term HR management or HR law on Google. And out of like 50, 60, 70 million hits, I would sometimes be at number one or two. And I didn't find that that really translated into business though. Whereas like when you compare that to the more obscure uh, term like pyramiding of overtime or something else within my field, I found that some of the more obscure and targeted uh, posts and, and content has really generated more business and interest in my practice. Yeah, and you bring up a very interesting point, and and I I don't know if I covered this in previous episodes, but um, one of the basics in marketing is to understand that when people come to you, you got to kind of envision a funnel, right? And at the top of the funnel um, is where your you know all of your leads reside, and all the people who are not your leads, and then you kind of your job in your marketing strategy is to kind of bring them down to the point where the only ones coming out of the bottom are the perfect clients for you, and the efforts that we do in our marketing, we need to understand whether they are top of funnel, middle of funnel, or bottom of funnel efforts. And top of funnel is the first touch point. That's the first way that they find you. That's how somebody first becomes an engaged lead, where now the middle of the funnel is where you make the case for them needing or wanting to work with you. And then finally, the bottom of the funnel is where you finally drive them to a sale somehow. So uh, what's interesting is, is that, for example, the website is a middle of the funnel thing. So it, without a website, uh, you can close sales if you're able to bridge that gap without somebody needing to check you out. So that's why when somebody first starts their firm, the best thing for them to do is to get referrals uh, that are coming through you know, personal connections because they can skip the website piece. They can skip yeah. that validity of me being an authority, me being a professional, uh, and go straight to just me being able to do the work. But once you're out there where people are coming that, that there's nobody attesting to who you are, that's where the website or Avo or things like that start to give you the credibility that you need um, to, uh, to be that, uh, that final uh, resource that they end up signing, signing on the dotted line with. What's interesting is, is that SEO is a top of funnel item. And as you pointed out, it, it probably does a really poor job of driving people into your funnel. It probably does a really poor job of, of getting people interested in you unless, like you're saying, these obscure things where somebody is searching for a very specific need and you're the only person that they find that, that's able to answer that question or fill that need. Now, you know, that drives them directly into, into your world. So uh, talking about that, do you know where the bulk of your clients come from is where what is your your primary top of funnel tool do you think is it that linkedin group is it your your blog post with your seo is it your public um, uh, media exposure can you pinpoint one of those or is it kind of everything put together 
And I think there's three different things actually that are at the top. Uh, other referrals from attorneys, uh, referrals from current and past clients, and public speaking that I do, pr uh, public presentations or webinars. Okay, so those public presentations, those opportunities, how are you, how are you finding them or, or where are they coming from? Honestly, some of it's by luck. Um, and then once I, they, people see me in action, um, you know, you, my, I think my public presence is pretty good and they see me in action and I think most people like me and like the way I, I talk about my field very much in plain English and very plain spoken. So I think that attracts people. Um, the public presentations, like literally um, like 10, 12 years ago, I bumped into another attorney at a, uh, who's a, a, who was an attorney for a, a not-for-profit. They do legal advocacy in uh, the law project, the Chicago law project. And I bumped into her at a networking event and she asked me if I wanted to do public speaking. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm looking for these opportunities. She's like, well, how about at City Hall in Chicago? I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. I mean, you know, I don't have any political connections. So if you could get me into City Hall, that's great. Uh, Chicago is one of those cities, uh, there's an old cliche, don't send me nobody, nobody uh, knows or nobody sent me. So, you know, she sent me up with this um, presentations at the Department of Business Affairs, they liked the presentations I gave, this is like 10, 11 years ago now. And I started out, I think for a few years doing two presentations, and now I'm doing four presentations a year for them. And I've been doing that for years now. Uh, they like my, my style so much that they referred me to some other organizations, uh, Goldman Sachs, 10K Small Business Initiative. So I did a, a programs for them for a couple of years. Uh, other people got wind of what I was doing. So I do these uh, regional conferences and webinars. Uh, things like that. So, yeah, you know, sometimes I'm doing presentations with, um, the, you know, the general counsel from large corporations or the weed waiver and employment attorney from large corporations. Sometimes I'm doing it with uh, competitors or with uh, plaintiff side attorneys. So it's been kind of an interesting phenomenon that it's sort of organically grown on its own. And then usually I, I always say I have a slow sales cycle. So like the, the Netherlands based company just closed down last week or the week before then I actually um, I gave some presentations about four years ago, or yeah, about four years ago, where one of their, uh, their current HR manager attended them while he was working for a different corporation, and I just contacted him off the cuff a few months ago, and one thing led to another, and now I'm starting to do work for them. So Yeah, so it's come full circle. Yeah, um, yeah what, what, what's interesting is as I'm hearing you talk about this, and um, again, it goes back to the fact that you're putting the effort in, right? You're just taking this consistent action and keep on uh, going. I, I guess just the assumption that everything is, is, is going to pay dividends at some point point, as long as you keep putting yourself out there. And I think that's really what we're, you know, what separates you from a lot of other firm owners who, you know, might be listening to this and, and wondering why they're not getting traction, you know, and you, you got to look inward and say, okay, like, what, what am I doing? Have I chosen something to just take it and go with it? And do I have the persistence and perseverance to continue, uh, yeah. even if I don't see immediate results? Because I mean, this stuff uh, that you're describing uh, you had to do it on faith for a while before you saw anything from it. Each one of them, the blog posts, the, the public speaking engagements, um, you know, and, and even your LinkedIn group. I, I, I know I'm building a LinkedIn group right now. It's been around for uh, about almost a year and I've got like 70 attorneys in there and, you know, and, and we're working hard. Like I'm one of them. You know, I've got, I've got people doing outreach to, to, to attorneys and, you know, it's not just me. Um, you know, trying, trying to build it. And it, it takes, you know, it, it takes time. So, um, it's confidence in yourself and, you know, and I'm not trying to sound arrogant, but 
and and frankly, I'm not the most po most polished type person. So you know, it's not like I'm uh, Johnny Cochran or anything like that. Uh, so I think it takes a certain level of confidence in yourself and your ability, especially when I'm going up against you know larger law firms uh, for or competing against them because sometimes I get business from them, sometimes I lose business to them. So you know, uh, it, it does take confidence. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the one thing that we we didn't really dive into that I wanted to in this conversation. So let's go there. Is uh, you you do some things that get get you exposure with the media, and you get interviews and things like that. Um, talk to us about how how you got involved with that. Where you know and 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 what that looks like, and and how how would you recommend if some somebody who wants to. Uh, go that route with their exposure and, you know, and their marketing efforts, uh, some steps they might be able to take. Sure. I think the first taste I got of that was maybe 12, 13 years ago uh, from Business Week when they contacted me from uh, uh, searching on the internet and they got a hold of me because I was doing, I guess I did well then in SEO. I, you know, I was kind of like on the first page of Google, uh, things like that. And 12, 13 years ago, obviously, is a lot different than it is today. But they contacted me about a uh, topic, I think it was involving employment agreements. And I gave them or said something that contradicted what another attorney had told them. And it turns out that what the other attorney told them was wrong. And what I told them was right. I said, well, you know, also you don't have to take my word for it, talk to one of my clients. So I gave them access to one of my clients and they actually interviewed a client of mine. They published a half page photo of him in Business Week, their small business issue. And so they had an interview with both me and him. And I think then I realized, you know, it's not that hard. And again, this is a rocket science. So I started plugging away more at the media stuff, the media relations. But I finally, you know, I found other professionals who were also into media were turning me on to like listservs uh, for media. Um, they, they aggregate media connections and uh, they look for media sources. One of them is Hero, helperreporterout.com, which is free. And they're owned by a company called Cision, which also has some paid services, which one of them, which I use is called ProfNet. So uh, I found out through Hero that there were people out there looking for sources, uh, at reporters and journalists looking for HR sources. And I started getting uh, success with them. I think I, I have a close rate of about 50% or so with them. And wow. uh, the same thing with ProfNet now. So through that, I started getting more interviews. Um, also through like the pro bono work I do, I do a lot of pro bono work. Some about a fifth of that generates paid work. And then I started getting awards for some of the pro bono work I do. And that also led to more uh, media interest. So this is really, you know, the way this all kind of interrelates one another. I, I had this one pro bono gig uh, about four or five years ago that led, led to being, uh, that was a four year gig and a four year case. The first two and a half years was pro bono. And the last year and a half, I was getting paid by the insurance company under a director's and officer's liability policy. So I, I realized, you know, I could get also approved by insurance companies doing this pro bono work. So that led to more paid work. But then because, uh, because it was, I was really successful on that one case, I won an award from the organization that first set me up with it. So they gave me their uh, Chicago lawyers for uh, the Chicago Committee, Chicago, uh, Committee of Civil Rights Under the Law. Um, Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under the Law, they awarded me their Outstanding Attorney Award for 2013. And because of that, I was, and because I was able to get paid for the work uh, for the last year and a half, I was also interviewed by the ABA Journal, it was featured in an article about lawyers doing pro bono work, solo attorneys who do pro bono work, that leads to paid work. 
So here, you know, this pro bono gig led to me being paid by the DNO policy, which ends up also, I get this award. Uh, it was a pretty, pretty prestigious award. And then I also get interviewed by the ABA Journal. Now, because, also because of that case and because of the work I did for this insurance company, one of my newest clients is another law firm, actually, and I've been approved by their uh, insurance company, the same insurance company, to represent my client on this one case now. So it kind of all leads into, I think if you do good work and you're able to publicize it well enough uh, and stay within the ethical boundaries, you're able to generate a lot of good traction and a lot of good stuff and just, you know, a lot of small things lead into a lot of bigger things. Yeah. And each thing that you're, that you're telling us leads me to, to further questions. So I hope you have a lot of time in your hands, yeah. but what, what I'm seeing, and I'm sure that, that people listening to the show, because if I'm experiencing it, I'm sure they're experiencing it as well, is that there's a lot of work that you're doing that's not paid work. There's yeah. a lot of work that you're doing that's focusing on the marketing efforts, the speaking engagements, the pro bono work. Um, and you're a solo, right? So, yeah. uh, it, and I don't know if you have any support staff in your office. So a solo with no support staff and, uh, and I'm assuming that you're, you're making a decent living from your practice as well. So if we d dig into this, is this something that you, uh, that you're monitoring, that you calculate somehow to try to figure out how much of your time you could spend on these other efforts? Or do you just kind of like, wing it, take it as it goes and, and see what happens. Like it, how, how does it work from a business perspective as far as just making sure that you're feeding your, feeding your family, putting food on the table or whatever it is that you're, you know, that, that the money you're taking home is going for. It's a matter, I think, of monitoring my stress levels. So, you know, every occasion I get pretty stressed out about stuff. I feel overwhelmed and then I make adjustments and uh, I've been doing this now for 18 years. I've been doing it long enough to realize that once I start being overwhelmed, there are certain adjustments I can make that'll help me out. Now, there are some people I use outside of my practice, tax, accounting, benefits professionals. So uh, other attorneys, sometimes I do co-counsel with other attorneys. So yeah, there's uh, uh, other things that I do that, to help alleviate the pressure. Uh, for example, we just we're wrapping up a case now in California and the weed litigation counsel, is, she's based out of California. My client didn't want me to, I, you know, I offered to go to California and I could have gotten waived into state court there for it, but uh, we decided to go the other route, which was getting co-counsel. So that worked out pretty well. And we, you know, it was a, a, a medium-sized wage and hour class action dispute out there that we just settled. So, yeah, I mean, it's a matter of monitoring stress and trying to keep abreast of that. And, but basically also business development has become like my hobby. So it's become, uh, aside from the practice of law, it's become my hobby. And the practice of law, I think actually the representational stuff and the advocacy-based stuff is kind of easy. Uh, some of the most complicated or difficult stuff is getting approved now by the insurance companies and trying to get the, to convince the insurance company that, hey, even though I'm a solo, I can handle this work. And now I can look you know, at past work that I've done uh, and you know, use that as the basis for uh, uh, as the launch pad for this other work. So for example, one, the insurance company that I represented uh, is a large international insurance company, but my supervisor, my claims rep there is an attorney herself. And she was so impressed with the work that I did that when I got this other case uh, with this other law firm now, uh, representing them on employment matter, they, they actually fired one of their own partners. Um, I contacted this attorney or this claims rep and said, hey, can you pull some strings for me? Uh, because I'm not one of their panel attorneys and the claim, the representative who is 
handling my client's policy. They didn't want to use me. So mm-hmm. once I, you know, I, I had her pull some strings for me and I got approved. Right. Yeah. So it, it, you start establishing these relationships and, yeah. and that helps further, for, further your, your progress as you go through. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so it's consistency, it's relationships, it's exposure, all, all of those put together in, into a nice package. Um, and uh, I, I had, sorry, I spoke on top of you. Say that again. I, I, you're piecing together a puzzle. Yeah, absolutely. It, and it, when I retire. Yeah, and it, it turns into something beautiful, right? Yeah. So what do, you, what do you do if you have more work than you can handle? Does that happen? Yeah, and or occasionally what will happen is, or just recently what happened was, I really didn't get along with a client. So I actually, uh, uh, both my client and I, we both mutually agreed to get another, uh, another attorney on it. Uh, it was very ironic the way it happened. Um, I just wasn't gelling well with this client. So I contacted this attorney who I knew the client contacted before uh, they signed out with me. And I actually left this attorney a message and didn't reach her directly. And then two hours later, I get a call from my client saying, hey, we want to go with this other attorney now who happened to be the same attorney I just called. So, you know, it kind of worked out uh, serendipitously, you know, that uh, they went with this client. So, you know, I just, I wasn't going to waste more time with this client. They weren't really taking my advice. And I, I just realized, you know, I'm like, I, I got, there's other things I can focus my energy on. So let's just, I'll let this one go. And so yeah. There's a book uh, called The Pumpkin Plan. I don't know if you ever read it uh, by Mike Michalowicz, but that entire book is about um, understanding which clients are the right clients for you and, and getting and firing the rest of your clients and you know working with the best clients. And this goes with the 80-20 rule uh, where 20% of your efforts produce 80% of your results. And uh, it, that works with so many things. And it's 20% of your clients produce 80% of your profitability because the other 80% are you know, they're basically boat anchors around your, your, your energy, your effort and so on. So being able to understand that and, and get a, an instinct that, you know, when it, somebody's not working out and you need to let them go and allow them to be free to work with somebody who is going to be the right fit for them is, you know, is it's good for both of you. And, uh, you know, so, so many of us are just worried about the, the losing the business or, or, you know, that we're, we're not willing to, to let go and, and allow, allow the person to go and, and work with somebody else. And, uh, when really that's the best thing for everybody. No, you got, I think you have to be willing as a professional to, to cut the cord with a client. In my case, it's not a matter of so much the money as it is, you know, are they listening to me? And, and I, it was what I'm saying resonating with them. And if I see that, you know, I'm saying X and they're saying Y, then base, and it's happening all the time, then you got to cut the cord. Uh, I've done, I did it a few years ago with a client on a very easy case, a very winnable case. And I knew we were going to win it. And she picked up another attorney who won it. But I was just like, you know, I'm like, we're not. And I've won, I've won cases for this client in the past. But I'm like, you know, this isn't really going the way I, I thought it would go. And I don't think you have enough confidence in me to continue this. Or, or vice versa. I don't have enough confidence in you anymore. Right. You know, drop this. And, and she went with another attorney. It, it, as it so happens, the way it worked out was that she had a, her corporate counsel was based in California and the corporate counsel started to micromanage me. I'm, I don't like to be micromanaged, which is, I guess, another reason why I'm a solo. And uh, so I said, you know, just go with this person in California. It's an easy case. I, you know, she'd have to be an idiot to not be able to win it for you. And, and so she did win it for them eventually. It was just a matter of, I think it took probably a lot longer for her to win it than it would have taken me to win it. So. Right. 
Well, it cost them more. You got, you gave somebody else some really good business and, <laughs> and you got out of it. So yeah. Uh, yeah. That Chuck, you know, listening to, to all of this and it, it's just, um, I guess what I observe is, is I can stand in awe of somebody who just is a true business owner, just, you know, kept uh, taking the efforts and doing the steps necessary to make things happen in the firm and produce the results. And um, obviously it, it's an on, ongoing battle for you. you. You know, business development does not stop. People are not just going to keep showing up because you used to have a blog 10 years ago or you used to have a group 10 years ago. So you have to kind of continue all those efforts. And I think that, uh, I think you've done an amazing job, and I think that that all of the things that you have done are a model that people who are listening to this show can use to say, "Hey, uh, if he can do this, I can do it." And you know, and and not to belittle what you've done, but you keep saying you're you're a regular guy, and you just you know you just took these steps, and and what I'm observing is is that you didn't give up, and you just kept at it, um, and that's really the the key here. Also, I like what I do. I mean, I like. I generally like being away from an employment lawyer. I generally like the field. Um, I really enjoy working with my clients. I guess I like myself too. You know, I'm pretty self-confident. People ask me like what it's like to be a solo. Maybe this will help uh, listeners relate too. I always say that being a solo in your own, you know, person in your own practice, every day is like being the first day on a new job. So if you've ever worked a salary job and you've encountered that first day or that first week and it's all foreign to you, pretty much every day is like that when you're a solo, I think. Yeah, so that's interesting that you should say it that way because I think that um, if you if the uh, firm owners who are listening to this, if you can flip this around the other way, and you basically say, when I come in in the morning, do I feel like do I feel as excited as I feel I would have felt if I was starting the first day of my new job? And if I don't. You need to start asking yourself, like, why am I not getting excited about this? Why am I not excited to go to work? Why am I not happy about it? Because if your firm is not bringing you happiness, then why are you doing it in the first place, yeah. right? And so I think that if you, if you approach that from the other perspective, it might give you a lot of insight into what might be broken and what you need to focus on and work on to, to fix it and, and turn things around. Uh, well, person, I'd have to be the greatest comment in the world, I think, to get people to, to go with me at that, you know, to be my client because uh, you know I, if they're just talking with me and not dealing with associates or secretaries or other partners i mean they're going to get a sense if i'm just a miserable you know uh just a, a terrible person so. right right it doesn't sound that way so <laughs> i'm sure that they get it i'm sure they that, i mean that's part of part of your success i'm sure is your personality your your being being open and outgoing and um and your knowledge of of the subject matter um uh, Oh, it's, you know, it's the whole package. And obviously um, everybody has something unique. So if you're sitting here comparing yourself, we always tend to compare ourselves to others. So uh, if you're sitting here comparing yourself to Chuck, just understand that, that there are plenty of clients out there who would not um, work well with him. And, um, you know, and, and that's because he is his own unique package and you need to be your own unique package. You need to just own your character traits that are, that are the positives. And you need also need to own the character traits that are the negatives and just say, this is who I am. And therefore I'm going to attract the people who just really um, uh, blend well with the whole package. That's me. Uh, so that's all, all wonderful. So Chuck, uh, we're going to, we're going to start wrapping this up. Let me ask you, do you have any parting uh, words of advice for uh, law firm owners out there listening to this show where you can, 
uh, you know, share some golden nuggets, nuggets with them that we have, have covered or have not covered that you want to reiterate, just some parting, parting wisdom that you'd like to share. Well, I think you kind of, uh, you alluded to a lot of it, uh, the persistence, uh, consistency, um, and people always ask me, like, how do I pick an attorney? And it's the same way, I think, for attorneys to get clients. I think a lot of it comes down to personality, uh, the way, because, you know, I, I might be at the top of what I do. I might be the Michael Jordan of labor and employment attorneys. I, I really don't know. I, I know I'm not a rocket science or rocket scientist or a brain surgeon. So, you know, I'm, I may be more intelligent than 50% of the people out there, but not as intelligent as the other 50%. So I'm probably somewhere in the middle is the way I look at it. And uh, basically, you have to have a lot of confidence in yourself and a lot of stick to itness about it or persistence about it uh, to just you know stay at it. And you have to really understand the business model too. That you're if you're a small firm or a solo practitioner, you really have to understand the model and the way it works. And also to understand the market you're in. Um, you know, Chicago, where I'm living, is a wide open market. But then I'm discovering too now that international companies and uh, other in other states it's wide open too. So it's uh, when you keep uh, your perspective on that, and when you use technology and use the low overhead types of technology, and you realize that the it doesn't how much money you're spending on this stuff doesn't really matter or doesn't uh, translate as well as much into business because frankly the LinkedIn I, my LinkedIn membership has been free. I've never used the premium stuff. Um, my blog, my web designer is a guy from Bucharest, Romania, uh, who I've never met face to face and who I've never even spoken to on the phone. But the guy, he speaks perfect English via email. So I've had a relationship with him for at least 10 years now, maybe 12, 13 years. So you start to realize that the way these things work, uh, especially on an international scale, uh, really can translate into, for a small or solo practitioner. Very well said. And what I really like is your resourcefulness, you know, to, to just recognize that there's something out there that you can, that you can conquer and just go for it. I mean, even your website, you, you know, you have a guy in Romania and, you know, people are trying to figure out, you know, who to use for their website. And they're looking at, you know, this marketing firm, that marketing firm, you didn't need a professional to do it. You just, you just needed to give your vision to somebody who, who's a techie who can, you know, put it together and, and make it happen for you. Good graphic. Uh, He's good at graphic design too. There you go. That was one of the key things. Cause I suck. Uh, I, I'm colorblind and I suck at graphic design. You know, even my stick figure sucks. So, you know, right. it's, uh, he's really good at that. Awesome. So uh, let's just uh, share with people how they can connect with you, how they can join your, your LinkedIn group, if that's something that interests them and uh, any, any way that they can, that, that they can follow up with you or, or if you want to keep in touch with them, why don't you go ahead and share that with our audience? Sure. It's just charlesacrugel.com. Uh, my entire name, middle initial, uh, or Charles Krugel's Labor and Employment Law and Human Resources Practices Group, which is on LinkedIn. Again, that's counterintuitive to use such a long URL or a long name for a LinkedIn group, but it seems to work pretty well. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm out there on the web and people can find me through that way, any of those means. Awesome. Well, Chuck, thank you so much for your time and for being so um, gracious and open with us and, and sharing all of, all of your experiences and knowledge. And I think that our listeners are going to be in for a real treat when they listen to this episode. So thank you so much. Appreciate it, Moshe. Thank you. 
That's it for this week's episode of Profit With Law. If you have enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with at least one person. Imagine how many lives we can change if we each shared this episode. Another way to share the episode is on social media. We appreciate your support and look forward to you joining us again next week.